Hello, hello. All right, I, I hear myself so I can tell that I'm on. Um, okay, 37 minutes on the clock, go. Hi, I'm not normally up here, but I am today. Uh, you may be unfamiliar with me. My name is Peter. Um, regardless of whether you knew me before or not, my name is still the same. It is Peter. I am one of the campus pastors serving our college students at UTD. Oh, whoosh, whoosh, this way. That's right, that's right, a lot of UTD alums here. Um, and before I get started, I wanted to actually talk about um, some sermon etiquette, all right? Sirac did this once for UTD, and I thought it was very helpful. It was like five years ago, and, it's at, and if I remember it, then it must have been important. Sermon etiquette, just talking about culture, all right? I want to encourage us to be a people who are vocal, in our encouragements and affirmations, okay? I can say this because I probably won't be preaching up here for yet a couple years. So I get to be the one to help the future speakers feel encouraged and affirmed by you. Okay, so sometimes I feel like we can think uh, we're not supposed to say anything. That is not true. You can say, you you can definitely say amen. You can say, mmm, that's right, that's good. Right? Uh, You can say, sing a song, all right? That way, it feels very good to hear that, okay, you guys are paying attention, tracking, affirming the truths that God has spoken through his word, all right? And I think it's very edifying to the body to hear each other put exclamation points to those truths, all right? So, I'm giving you permission to to speak up. (laughs) Um, Nice. Amen. That's right. That's right. Uh, Also, phone etiquette. You can be on your phones for a few reasons. One, opening up your Bible app. All right, I'm going to be asking you to open up your Bible app today. Two, if you're texting a friend about the sermon. Those are about the two things that I'll let you do, okay? (laughs) Yeah, that's right, that's right. Okay, so, again, I'm Peter. Some of you may know me as Paul's brother. Um... Most of you have probably called me Paul on accident at some point, and there's no worries. I've forgiven all of you in my heart. Uh, We definitely experienced that a lot from my mom growing up, so neither of us are offended if you call us the wrong name. We will still respond, and there's also no guarantee that we'll correct you. But for the record, I was here first, okay? I joined, oh, I gotta take this off. I joined this church when I came to college in 2011, and I've been here ever since. And Paul came here in 2016, all right? So a lot of you don't know the story, but we had both graduated college in 2015, uh, different colleges. Um, So he'd been out for a year, and he was having difficulty adjusting to life after college because he moved to California to be with my parents, and we didn't grow up there. So we didn't really have many friends or really any close friends uh, there as a support system. So after a year of living there, of, of him living there, I remember scheming with my parents on how to get him to come to Texas because I knew he would fall in love with this community if he just gave us a shot. So we're scheming, we're planning. We, we talked to him, we're like, hey, what if you visited your brother for, for just two weeks? All right, just, just pack your bags for two weeks. But on the side, we were like, yeah, he's never going back. 
And so this was in about October, and within a, I remember within a few weeks, this was the middle of October, and I'm praying that you know, he, he, he loves it here, that he enjoys it here, he'll decide to stay. And miraculously, a space opens up in a ministry house in the middle of October. And I, I remember having the conversation with him saying, Paul, like, this doesn't happen. All right, ministry houses have waiting lists of people to get in. They, you, you can only get in in the summer. This never happens. This is your shot. If you want to stay, take it. And the rest is history. He stayed. Many of you were here. Uh, I know that Shannon and Kim really helped him out early on. Um, some former members of Focus, Jalen and Manny, were really good friends to him. And it's because of that love and that family, uh, that family atmosphere that he really chose to stay. And so he's been here ever since. Um, most of you probably like Paul more than me. <laughs> and I don't blame you. <laughs> if you take my qualities and you throw away the abrasive parts, you throw away the intimidating parts, the selfish parts, and then you crank up what you got left up to 11, you got Paul. All right, he's me, but only the good stuff. But I didn't always think of him that way. When we were young, like up until high school, I hated my brother. I'm like, I, I, hated, my, I hated him. He intruded on my selfishness, right? He split my parents' attention. Sometimes he got more of it. I had to share my toys and games with him, right? Um, uh, I had to share Christmas presents with him. Uh, we, we got a Game Boy for Christmas, right? 50 50. Um, and obviously, I would have preferred to have it all to myself. And whenever he was playing it and I had like, just some desire to play it, I remember I would, I would hit him to like, get it back from him, right? This is, this is like little boys, right? This is, what, this is what happens when you have little boys. Anybody with little boys, right? Many, uh, every week, we would have wrestling matches. My, my parents would have a Bible study going on downstairs. And so they're really delving into the gospel and God's love. And upstairs, me and my brother are having like a WWE title wrestling match in front of all our cousins and friends. And many of you may have similar memories of wrestling with your family. Except for us, it was not the family. It was just only us two every time. And it wasn't for fun. It was definitely out of anger. And out of dozens and dozens of wrestling matches, the record has always been very clearly zero victories for me. <laughs> because you cannot expect to be this big and win many wrestling matches. Um, we did mellow out as we got older. All right? I, made him, I remember making him learn the bass so he could play with me on the worship team. Um, he would go with me on Craigslist deals, even last minute. I'd be like, hey, I'm meeting somebody right now. It's like 10 p.m. at night. Will you come with me? And he's like, sure. <laughs> Let's go to a sketchy parking lot. Let's make some money. <laughs> um, but it really wasn't until leaving for college that at, at last I started realizing that I did love my brother, that he was there for me throughout my life, and I missed him a lot. And the best parts of visiting home was getting to be around him. So this is a message to those of you with children who get into fights, who seem to hate each other, 
that there is hope for the future. Your family can still be built on love. Even in the midst of conflict, it may be being built on love because we build families on love. So after that very long intro, of which we at Northeast are very used to, <laughs> let's get into our passage today. All right, so we've been going through the, the letter of Ephesians from the Apostle Paul, not my brother, um, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and we're starting in chapter 3. But before we, before, before we read that, I want to talk about what we've already been talking about, about this whole structure of Ephesians, all right? So Ephesians has six chapters, and it has two pretty clear halves. It's one letter, obviously, but it's one train of thought that Paul establishes with the first three chapters um, as the foundation of what we believe, Right? Obviously, when he was writing this, he was not labeling it chapter one. Chapter, it's just one long letter that we've made into chapters. So first three chapters that we're finishing up today is the foundation of what we believe. And then the second half is the practicals, right? What do we do now that we know what we believe, right? Now that we have this foundation. But we don't, we don't get the practicals unless we get the foundation right in the beginning, all right? I can do the same practical things as someone else for entirely different reasons. And that colors the whole thing, right? I can do the same practical things now, but for entirely different reasons than I did them before because of new understanding, because of getting the foundation better, right? When I was younger, I mean, every kid has to do chores, right? Me and Paul would do the dishes together. We would mop the floor. We'd take out the trash. And I always had a bad attitude. I don't know if I ever did my chores, like, good once. <laughs> um, it just felt unfair. It felt like my parents were placing undue burdens on me, like th they were out to get me. But now, I can do all those things, and I do all those things for my parents because I love them with a good attitude, because I get the foundation of what they said that it's all about love, that they've loved me well, and that they're not trying to enforce some weird rules or burdens that are unfair, but that these are actions that show love to one another, right? The same actions, but very different foundations. <laughs> so that's where we're going to go into with Ephesians. So, yeah, in order to understand what we're going to get into with chapters 4 through 6 in the future, we need to get 1 through 3. All right, so chapter 3, the climax of everything that's come before, it all leads to this and is concluded with this. If you want to open your Bible app, you can take out those phones now. I'm going to be reading out of the NLT version, New Living Translation version. All right, I'll give you a few seconds. Ephesians 3. All right, all right, let's do this. He says, when, when I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, dot, dot, dot. So, yeah. He's got a dot, dot, dot in there because he's going to an aside, right? He's got this other thought that he's going to, he's, he's got a rabbit trail he's going to go off of right here. Assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. 
As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. All right, so we've got a mystery here, right? Paul's talking about a mystery. What is this? Verse 4. As you read what I've written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. All right, this is the mystery. He's about to reveal what this mystery is, this mysterious plan that God has. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body, and both enjoy the the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom and its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. I'm going to pause there for a quick second. So yeah, this mysterious plan is that Jews and Gentiles are one body, the same body. And through this unification, right, God's purpose in all this was to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, right? This, this one body, this one family serves as an example of God's purpose to display his wisdom, okay? All right, we're going to keep going. Verse 12. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. All right, so that's the end of his aside. All right, there was a very lengthy, like, let me, let me just say this thing again. All right, why Jews and Gentiles forming one body is my purpose that God has given me and to, t- to tell everyone about this. All right, so he's finished with that. And he says, when I think of all this... All right, remember, he, he already said this at the very beginning of the chapter. When I think of all this, so he's saying it again. When I think of all this, and we're going to come back to that because what is all this? When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. All right, so that's Ephesians chapter 3, right? So let's get back to our bookmarks, right? When I think of all this, he says this twice. So what is all this? Well, we have to go back to chapter 2 and look, right? If we remember from what was preached last week, it is about this 
his, his entire point is about God bringing Jews and Gentiles together. And why is that so important? It's because there have been centuries, if not millennia, of animosity, of wars, of cultural divide and development that has resulted in two very different types of people. Someone say it's like oil and water. These two just don't mix. And yet somehow Jesus has become a chemical that makes oil and water mix together and form one new thing, right? One new family, one new humanity, right? So very quickly, looking at chapter 2 in verse 11, I'm still in the New Living Translation. I'm going to stay there the entire day. So if you want to follow along, chapter 2, verse 11 in the NLT version, right? He says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders, right? You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts, right? So there's this... Uh, animosity, this, uh, this conflict of who is superior, right? One group of people thinks they're better than the other. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Skipping forward to verse 19. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Right? So now there's no better or worse. There's no one group of people and another type of people. He says, you are members of God's family. Right? This one new family. And we build families on love. You know, I didn't... uh, Talking about my brother Paul, I didn't stick with him because I loved him. I learned to love him because I was stuck with him, right? Or perhaps more accurately, he learned to love me because he was stuck with me. You see, love was able to counteract and override over a decade of squabbles and fights, of hurtful words and tension, not because we were so good that we... We decided to stick it out until we could reconcile. But because we're family, we're stuck with each other. So either we figure it out or we destroy something much bigger than just the two of us. We would fracture the very meaning of what it means to be family. So when we here look at each other, we should see family. People we're stuck to because of Christ. We shouldn't see people we choose to be around just because we enjoy being around all of them or because we have this, um, some innate natural love that springs forth as if I was that good of a person. We don't see a church that we choose to be in because it has the best sermons or the best worship or the best fill in the blank. We should see people that we belong to and belong to us, that we're stuck to and who are stuck to us. And so we better figure it out. 
we better choose to love, right? In our, in our culture, we have a very consumerist attitude towards everything, but including church. We want something that'll provide us, you know, a show, and it's entertaining that, you know, I'm up here to give you, uh, you know, some, some entertaining dance, some entertaining speech that will inspire you, and I can't guarantee that it'll always be like that. And so when we find churches that don't give us that, we skip it. We go to the next one. We find something else. But we shouldn't be like that. That has never been the language that God has used about his church. He's always used the, the term family when, it talks about, when he talks about his church. Yeah. Right? But when we use that word family, it's, it's important. It's heavy. It's not something we should throw around lightly, right? Family, uh, I watched a movie recently where it says, Ohana means family. (laughs) And family means nobody gets left behind, right? That's very different than going, you know, and just picking and choosing something that I enjoy or that I prefer. Um, A lot of times, my family isn't what I prefer. There are other people who I would have a lot more fun with. But my family is my family. You are my family. And so, when when we say this word, when we use this term, God doesn't use it lightly, and neither should we. All right? We are stuck together. But that doesn't make it's easy, right? It's very hard to be family. We step on each other's toes. We mess up. Sometimes we mess up bad and we hurt each other really deeply. Sometimes our pride gets in the way. Our selfishness gets in the way. We want the Game Boy all to ourselves, right? And I'm going to do what I want regardless of what it does to you. We want to be right. And we want our family to know that we're right. We want our parents to be liberal. They want us to be conservative. We want our parents to change to 21st century culture. They want us to realize that new is not always better. We want what we want, and sometimes it seems like we don't care how it affects our family. Um, So growing up, so my parents are immigrants uh, from Taiwan. All right, so growing up in our household, it was always a bilingual household. My parents would speak to us in Mandarin. We would speak back in English. Um, and probably by the time I was around 11, that was when, uh, you know, my, my grasp on the Mandarin language is not great. My mom's grasp on the English language is not great. And so by the time I was 11, that was kind of the end of any development of our relationship. Right? That was about the extent of how she could, when she could uh, take care of me. Um, and my emotional needs, my social struggles at school, any of that, we didn't know how to say that to each other. And so over, over a lot of years, right, it just, uh, my mom is my mom. I love her. She's amazing. Um, but she's a mom. She, she reminds me of things. She nags me on things. She wants me to, to get better at certain things and, and not better at other things. And, All these things, right? So about five years ago, my mom and I had a huge fight. Okay, like, um, it was was really a a culmination of a lot of things feeling like she was disapproving of all of my life choices. It culminated in a fight about seminary, which is ironic because, you know, seminary is where you go to learn about God. But my mom really wanted me to go to seminary. 
And what I heard from her was, I really don't like what you're doing with your life. I don't want you to be a college minister. Go to seminary so you can get a real job. And so this blew up in this huge fight, right? Because families hurt each other. And it's what happens when you open your heart to people. It's what happens when they get a front row seat to your best accomplishments and your worst breakdowns, right? Any other person who's told me, hey, you should go to seminary, I'd be like, eh, not really for me, whatever, shrug it off. But good families give each other their hearts, and that's risky. So when my mom says, hey, you should go to seminary, all right, what does that mean? What is she communicating? And why does that hurt me? But good families give each other their hearts, and it only works when we trust that we're stuck together, that we're going to be there for each other even when we hurt. And few things hurt more or leave worse scars than the dismantling of a family. Right? After that fight, I called, I called Brandon, and I, I told him, like, I don't know if my family can stay together anymore. Like, I don't, like, it was, it was bad. Like, I got in it with my mom, my sister got in it with my mom, my brother got in it with my mom. Like, it was, um, it, it was just time for all of our conflicts to boil over. And, yeah, like, I called him and I said, I may not come back ever again. But Paul has a word for those of us with families that are falling apart or breaking apart. Right? He says, I pray from his, his, God's glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Paul's prayer is that we would learn to love one another well. And it only comes when Christ makes his home with us. When we can go home to someone who loves perfectly like him. When we spend time with Christ, our love begins to look like his love. And we begin to have the power to understand how wide, long, high, and deep it is for us. And when we experience it fully, only then will we be made complete, right? That's what Paul says. Only when we experience his love fully, we will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. You see, we don't experience the fullness of God by understanding the right doctrines about him. We don't get it by knowing who is right and who is wrong in this world. We don't get it by voting for the right person. We don't get it by sucking up to the right people. We don't get it by saying the right things. Because we don't build families on those things. We don't build families on us all believing the same things or voting the same way or hating or loving the same people or things. We build families on love for one another. We build families on love. And the best families are built on God's love. All right? Um... When I was in college, I led a small group with one of my best friends. And halfway through that year, I got an opportunity to take a job in Austin. Um, and so I took it. 
Um, it was going to pad my resume real well for law school, which, you know, I didn't go. So, <laughs> um, and so I took it. I left halfway through the year. And, you know, to me, it was a pause on our relationship, right? I was going to go off for half a year, come back, go to school again, be part of Focus again. Um, but to him, it was a lot more than that, right? It was me leaving, abandoning. Um, and so when I came back, you know, I still called him my best friend. Uh, but about a year later, we had a conversation where he basically told me, like, hey, like, I don't know what you mean by that because what you did hurt me. Um, and I apologize, but, you know, that conversation hurt me as well because I didn't understand where he was coming from. I didn't understand how I had hurt him so bad. To me, it was just a pause to him. It was a rewind. And it was about two or three years ago that we reached out again to talk about it again, right? This is a brother in Christ, and, you know, I had hurt him and had not really understood why. And so we reached back out. We had a resolution. We talked about it. We, 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 we hang out, you know, once every, once every year, once every six months now because... We knew that we were stuck together. It didn't matter how far we might be able to run from each other, um, go to different churches. As long as we're in God's family, right, we're stuck to each other. And we need to make sure that our relationships are at least not negative, right? We don't experience that fullness of God just by ignoring the conflict. We experience it through love. You know, after that fight with my mom. Um, you know, I called Brandon, I called my dad. Uh, I was considering just leaving, running away, just staying here full time, never going back. But then, you know, I, I, in, in praying to God, he reminded me, he was like, you give advice to college guys on relationships all the time. You give advice to them on managing conflict, of working through tension, of reconciling relationships all the time, why won't you take your own advice? So, I started talking to my mom. We sat down. Um, we sat down and on, on the bed. We faced each other. And I sought to understand. I, I asked her questions on why she was telling me to go to seminary. Why she would tell me all these things and say these things that made me feel bad about myself. Um, and she responded. I mean, imagine like conflict, conflict conversations never go fast, right? I would, but this conversation, if it was purely in English, maybe it would have taken an hour. But given that every other sentence were like, okay, you said this word, I don't know that word. Can you explain that to me in, in other words that I might know with 11-year-old vocabulary, <laughs> right? This took about two or three hours. Um, but we finally emotionally connected for the first time in a long time, where she talked about what she wanted for me and for my life, where she wanted stability. She wanted every opportunity that I could have. She didn't want to see me... Um, waste any, any, any time in my life that I could be doing pursuing God and pursuing what he might want me to do in the future. That even though right now I may love college ministry, 
that if in the future I wanted to do something else, she wanted me to have that chance. Right? So it wasn't that she disapproved of college ministry. It was that she wanted me to have all the opportunities that she wanted me to have. And so in this discussion, I was able to see what my mom's love for me was. Right? That anytime she says, Peter, why are, you, why, why, why are you so thin? It's not because she's you know, trying to shame me, but she's actually worried about whether I'm eating or not. Right? When she says, don't, eat, don't drink so much soda or don't eat so much candy, which admittedly I do do both of those things, <laughs> that she's just worried about me and she's not disapproving. It's in those conversations when we, when we see that we're stuck together, that we're family, that we work through that conflict, that we really see God's love shining through. Yeah. Right? It's those tough things. So when we are asked this question, how wide and high and deep and long is Christ's love? The only ways we can really begin to understand that is in the love that we show one another. Right? That's our starting point. When we experience it from our family here on earth, we see what God has in store for us later on. And we'll spend our entire lives learning it and experiencing it. So we, you know, that, that entire conflict arose because she wanted me to go to seminary, and I didn't. I did go to seminary. <laughs> I graduated from seminary. And many of you were there at the graduation party we had here, right? Because that's what family does. We celebrate with one another. Um, you know, me and Brandon, we graduated around the same time, and so we went to California to walk uh, across the stage for graduation. And my family was there, his family was there, and many of our staff and friends were there as well. Right? It showed us what family does. It, sh- it shows us that we show up for each other. Um, and that people were proud of me. Many of you here told me that you're proud of me. And you don't know, I don't know how much uh, whether you know how much that means to me. Um, because in, in Asian cultures, we don't, uh, we don't know how to say I'm proud of you. There's a, there's this, there's a meme that uh, a lot of Asian people like pass around. It's, it's like if, if a friend says, hey, how do you say I'm proud of you in Mandarin? Then you say, I don't know. I've never heard it. <laughs> And it's true. I don't know. I don't know what to say. <laughs> um, but, but two years ago, I was dropping my parents off at the airport. And, um, you know, I was hugging them goodbye. And my mom told me in English that she was proud of me. And that was the first time I'd ever heard that. And I think it's in those experiences with family, right? Again, many of you have said that you're proud of me. It's in those experiences that we begin to see what Christ's love for us is like. That he might be proud of me just because I'm his son. That he might be proud of you just because you're part of his family. It's when we show each other that love as family that we can heal hurts that we've experienced in this world. Ways that family love may have fallen short in your life. Um, Because families aren't perfect. Um, Yeah, so, 
You know, there, there are lots of ways that we can show each other love like that. I think one of the important things that has really touched my heart um, is holidays, right? What do we, who do we spend our holidays with? It's family. Um, and, but many of us here, especially as college students and some young professionals, uh, we're what I would call orphans, right? Not literally orphans, but orphans in Texas. Well, we don't have family here. And sometimes we don't get to go home for the holidays. Um, and thankfully, I've never been orphaned for a holiday here. Um, I've always had somewhere to go to, whether it's the Worshams for Thanksgiving. Um, I've been to the Glenesks for Christmas. I've been to the McWilliamses for Christmas. Um, I've been to the Mullingses for Christmas. Um, even before I started dating my now wife, um, they were welcoming me in like family. Um, it's ways like that that we show each other what family can be like. And as I've gotten older, um, I've realized how much of uh, a stretch outside of the comfort zone that can be, right? We spend our entire lives spending these holidays with our biological family, um, that it can be different and difficult to invite someone that you may not know very well to join in on that. But here, we're family, right? And we love each other like family. And so even if we've got some crazy uncles and aunts or crazy nieces and nephews, um, they're family, and they join us, right? And we see that going back to Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 4. It says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. I used to think that God's love was dependent on my performance, or or at least his approval was dependent on my performance. I used to think my parents' approval was dependent on my performance, and maybe it used to be. But this, this is the truth, that God has always loved you before you ever did a thing. And he adopted you into his family because he wanted to. All right? Not because he had to. Not because he was forced into a corner by the rules that he or some other existential universal being made. It's like, no, that doesn't make sense. God adopted you into his family because he wanted to, because he likes you. Because it makes him happy to get to love you. The type of God you think he is, how much or how little you think he loves, is how much or how little you will love. When you think of God's pursuit of you, when you think of how much or how little he may be pursuing you, that will affect how you will pursue others. When you think of how God has served you, that should affect how you will serve others. And when you think of how God has forgiven you, that should affect how you forgive others. This is what family does. When we experience something from our parents, that should shape us to be like them. In chapter 3, climaxes with this, that Paul prays, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. 
Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God will do so much more if you will let him. If you don't believe that you can love that deeply, if you believe that your experiences have, have scarred you to the point that you can't love that deeply, trust in God. Stay with him. Make your home with him. Go home to him, and he will do more than you could ask or think or imagine. Infinitely more, right? If you don't believe that you could accept this love, right, he will do more than you could ask or think or imagine. His love is even bigger than you thought it was. If you will continue to live with him and experience him, all right, if you experience his love, right, if you experience his love here in your quiet times, in your small groups, in your one-on-ones, if you experience his love, you will begin to love like he does. And this family will be built on love. Amen? Amen. All right, I'll pray and we'll all be dismissed. God, I thank you so much for this family, for what you've done in us, for what you're still doing in each one of us. I pray that you would grow us closer together, that you would drive us to forgive one another, to have grace for each other when we step on each other's toes, even when we deeply hurt one another, that we would seek reconciliation because you sought reconciliation with us, that you have always loved us, even before we knew we existed. God, you have always loved us and chosen us and you've adopted us into your family. So may we live like your family. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.